Welcome to Pitching Tense, the fan entertainment movie pitching podcast. And today we are pitching our vision for an Oscar bait slash Oscar contender movie. Only just shy of that Academy Awards there. Um, we missed it by, was it like a full month? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we were thinking we'll try and get it done for then. And as it turns out, we were very busy. And now, unfortunately, we have entered into the month not only of your wedding, but also the month that I got COVID. So this is as good as you're getting. I'm still Mike. And I'm still Darren. Yeah, it's uh, missed the boat slightly, but I feel that's on the family crest of Feral <laughs> Entertainment. Whoa! Apologies. Oh, my God. He it's, has got the Rona. It's taking me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take a second, babe, whilst I explain the premise. So, please do. Um, yeah, general gist, pretty simple. We are trying to make a movie that, on paper at least, seems like it's destined to win Oscars, plural, but largely the Best Picture Oscar. So, if you listen to uh, Mike's Oscar rundown, he gave basically a formula for how you win these things. And we've tried to stick as closely to that as we can. Um, now, I, I know yours is slightly less fleshed out. Not that mine is a fucking full-on pitch like we've done sometimes with some of the pitches we've done. It's a pretty much a skeleton um, run-through of what I think the film would be. Um, apparently because there's not a lot of guesswork needed for my story. A lot of it's already out there in the ether, so that's good. Um, but yeah, we've we've cobbled these together. Uh, in hopes of pitching something that might sound to you like we're onto something, and that would probably be a very good movie. Yeah, hopefully so. Um, I am going to go first this time, and Darren is going to go second because I have not got as much together uh, of this. I started writing a movie, um, and I'm really pleased with it, and I really hope I can share that film with you one day. Um, and then I realised it didn't fit any mould, <laughs> like oh. not even remotely was it an Oscar movie? It's just a movie I'd really want to watch. So I'm I'm waiting for the right moment to bring you the Masquerade movie. Um, okay. The less you know about the story of Masquerade, the better, uh, because I'll explain that fully in my actual Masquerade pitch. But what I... what we, I mean, we were talking about this in the Oscar podcast of what actually does the Academy go for? And I think me and you actually landed on very similar themes in the end. Um, I think both of our movies are based around the making of other movies. Is that right? That is correct, yes. I, I thought it was. Right, okay. So you're going to hear two very similar pitches, hopefully from very different angles. What I have done is I've tried to predict a future Oscar winner. Um, I, I It hasn't happened yet, um, but I do see uh, Paul Thomas Anderson becoming a Best Director Oscar winner. Because I'm not necessarily pitching this as a Best Picture winner. Um, I'm, I'm thinking this could sweep, like, acting awards, certainly a director nomination, potentially along the lines of uh, of soundtrack as well. Um, but I think this this could be a contender. Did you make it? So... Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson and a spiritual successor to his best picture nominee from 2021. Well, technically 2022 is when the ceremony was, but it's 2021 picture. You get what I'm trying to say. Uh, a spiritual successor to the movie Licorice Pizza would be my movie. Uh, that movie is called Kal-El Lives! Exclamation mark. Mm -hmm. You've probably twigged what this is about. <laughs> right. OK, so. 
Let, let's talk about the cast. Um, so the movie opens in sort of like the mid 2000s, kind of like the tail end of the 2000s, 2008, 2009, something like that, at a Comic Con, essentially, a a stage show where a screenwriter is giving a talk to a, a paying audience. That screenwriter is Kevin Smith. Uh, in the movie, played by Dan Fogler. Okay, yes, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, I just it's just too good a casting to to not do. Um, and essentially, the framing device for this film is Kevin Smith talking about his experiences working on Superman Lives slash Superman Reborn, which is what it was before he came onto the project. Right. So the movie would chronicle. Uh, the events between 1995 and 1998 when Superman Lives was being developed. Um, so Kevin Smith would be like kind of like recounting his working relationship with one John Peters. That should ring a bell. John Peters featured in Licorice Pizza and was played by Bradley Cooper. Right. Okay. That's what makes this a spiritual sequel gotcha. to, to Licorice Pizza. So and we he's... age up Bradley Cooper. Right. Okay, cool. Because uh, because Licorice Pizza was actually so well received as well, I know that sequels don't tend to do very well at the Oscars. But you know, I, I think the more you think about the Tarantino uh, ten film epic, the the more this kind of makes sense. It's kind of like the the kind of the old Hollywood stories could become that kind of mixed playground for Paul Thomas Anderson. I think there's there's real potential there to do something really special. Um. So that's your the, the the key relationship in like the early parts of the movie is Dan Fogler as Kevin Smith trying to write around the sheer lunacy of John Peters played by Bradley Cooper. This would include having scenes again. I've not thoroughly fleshed this out, but there has to be a scene where John Peters pitches his vision for Superman Lives as I don't want to see Superman fly. I don't want to see him put on glasses and he has to fight a giant robot spider at the end. And this just... is the giant robot spider thing. Yes, this is the one. Right. So, so like the whole, <laughs> you know, he doesn't wear a costume. He doesn't fly. He's got to fight a giant robot spider. And, I, I, it's just going to be scenes of these people in rooms trying to write this film. The other part of the film, however, is based around once Tim Burton got on. Right, okay. Because when, when Tim Burton entered the movie, it wasn't long after before Kevin Smith was kind of jettisoned off the project. Right. But his script kind of lived on, in a sense. Um, but I, I really, really wanted to do this particular bit of casting. So please forgive my bullshit because I really want this. Nick Cage has a son called, oh. called Western Cage. Okay. <laughs> Genuinely, he's missing only Super and Mare and he would be the most British Cage of all time. Yes. So Western <laughs> Cage plays Nick Cage in the 90s. Um. And and then the other of these two kind of like comedic relationships will be between Nick Cage, played by Western Cage, and Tim Burton, played by Nick Cage. <laughs> oh wow, that's beautiful. It's beautiful because it's 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 homaging a weirdo, and you've got the same weirdo playing a whole different weirdo. This is where you could have like these really weird conversations, like. There has to be a scene where they put Nick Cage in. You know, like the translucent, glitter ball, yeah. disco Superman suit? Yes, I do. 
that's got a feature in a whole thing of like, I don't know, do you think it's too much? <laughs> I would love to see that. And again, like have that being like recounted by a Dan Fogel at Kevin Smith. It's like, and the guy comes out like a fucking disco ball. <laughs> I just think it'd be beautiful. Uh, uh, the other two uh, um, characters I've already cast and thought about are the writers that kind of pick up where Kevin Smith leaves off. After Kevin Smith left the project, um, pretty much the second Tim Burton came on and demanded a $10 million salary, um, were writers Dan Gilroy and Wesley Strick, who were basically instructed to throw out the Kevin Smith version of Superman Lives and do it again, but this time with folk, a bigger focus on Brainiac um, and I think Luther in this version. Bear in mind, you'll, you'll have cameos running all the way through this, but I'll just I'll, I'll go over those in just a second. Um, this du- duo, because one comes right after the other, but I, I kind of want to rewrite this as a duo working on this. Dan Gilroy will be played by Paul Bettany and Wesley Strick will be played by Matthew Bainton who you might um, recognise as, um, you know, the dandy from Ghosts. Yes. Yeah, the the, yeah. <laughs> the guy who got killed in the duel, the, the poet who's like mad yes. into the main character. That's uh, Matthew Bainton. Fucking, what's his face and Gavin and Stacey. Uh, That's the one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know you on a bit. So where these two come into the story is to kind of like wrangle, like they're like the last gasp of trying to wrangle this horrific fucking idea of having Brainiac merge with Lex Luthor into a film before it all comes crashing down. And I I think you get to have that beautiful narration from Dan Fogler as Kevin Smith talking about how the movie just didn't fucking happen. And you've got some great scenes that are kind of like ear pegged as like good performances, like for your considerations. The first one being of Kevin Smith, like, picking up the superman reborn script that was written in 1995 in 1996 and tearing a new one because apparently he like tore it a new one at warner brothers and then like called his friend and was like oh dude i read the worst superman script and i just told them it was shit and just laughing about it and apparently his i think it's his friend walter i think his name is in the story um He's like well why didn't you just like offer to write the new one and then like the laughter cuts out and he turns that fucking car around and right. goes back to Warner Brothers to be like, I'll write it. So I, I think you've got the the opportunity to have like some really like character-driven comedy like with an, an edge of total Hollywood weirdness. Right. Uh, you know, and that's what you get with having Nick Cage, uh, someone playing Nick Cage, and an absolutely insane John Peters. You've got to have a scene in there where um kevin smith goes to watch wild wild west as well yes like after, in right, fact yeah. that could be that's your closing scene i was him, gonna say him going to watch wild wild west seeing the giant fucking spiders and going huh he did it <laughs> okay i was wondering like what's your ending here like what's the big emotional payoff i guess that's not an emotional payoff but it's a funny payoff so it's got that going for it yeah, um, I, I guess you you deal with the the lasting legacy of what happens to the Superman story after this. So, right, okay, you could have scenes of the Brandon Routh movie starting production. Uh, of course, you've got the birth of um, Nick Cage's second son, Kal El. That's yeah. also part of this story. Uh... So that could be, you know. Uh, that'd be an even better ending because the movie's called Kal-El Lives. I think that would be a really oh, good way there to, you go. Okay. to avenue out of this film. 
Um, and also kind of like to leave it open um, for another movie to be made in this kind of like knock on. Because if it's if it's made, being made as a follow up to Licorice Pizza, which is very much set in the uh, the 70s. Yes. We're doing a 70s story, a 90s story. And you leave it a couple of years and you can do like a 2010 story. Um, what would be a good follow up there to do? Let me think. Well, it's got it's got Tim Burton. No, not much you can do with Tim Burton. Kevin Smith, not much you can do with him. I don't know. I haven't really thought that the, the, no. the follow up through because you don't really do a follow up to a, a Oscar winner movie if you can help it. But I thought this would be a great kind of like look back at how the studio system and the kind of the seeds of the comic book movie juggernaut coming through, especially after the the Burton Batman movie. Yeah, and. Oh, yeah, cameos afoot in this film. Michael Keaton would be a great recurring cameo in this because he was rumoured to be in Superman Lives for years. And apparently people would ask me if he was in it. He's like, yeah, I'm in it. And they're like, you're playing ba- are you playing Batman? He's like, no, not really. Not not playing Batman. <laughs> I think the whole point is he'd turn up as Bruce Wayne. Ah. And I think you could do that. You could, you could have that as a scene they might have filmed and then it never happened. But you could have, I mean, Christopher Walken at one point was in consideration to play Brainiac, I think. So it'd be fun to have him cameoing, well, somebody playing him cameoing yeah. in and out of the movie. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's a great story. I, I haven't got round to watching um, The Death and Return of Superman Lives yet, which is the documentary based around this movie not happening. Right. Um, I was basing this entirely off the videos of Kevin Smith telling the story. Because I think he's a he's a very competent storyteller and very engaging when he talks about shit that never happened. But yeah, like I said, I haven't had much time to really structure this one together. I just think this is a fascinating story. I think it's got legs with a director like Paul Thomas Anderson. You know, he, the guy's already, you know, been considered by the Academy, obviously most recently for Licorice Pizza, but also Phantom Thread, Inherent Vice, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia... Uh, even I mean, Boogie Nights I think wasn't an Oscar-nominated movie, but it did very, very well. Right. Um, yeah. So the the guys there again. I'm not pitching this as a best picture. It certainly would be a contender in my head, but we are gunning for that directing thing. Why I want the the '90s too cool for school surfer vibe of California to be dripping through every shot of this movie. Lovely. Okay. I. Like that a lot. That could work really well. DC is on the back foot at the moment, and who doesn't love shitting on DC? I yeah, it's a follow up to Licorice Pizza, so it's got momentum on that side. Everyone liked Bradley Cooper in that, so that makes a lot of sense, I think. And it's got that disaster movie vibe about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. It would, it would, you know, it's all meant. It's almost kind of like. it's a little bit like the thick of it, like the TV series as well, like because yes. everything inevitably is going to come crashing down after worst decision after worst decision is made, and millions of dollars are wasted until eventually, you know, Warner Brothers just shutters the whole thing. I think it'd be a, a fun insight into the collapse of the uh, of, of the wouldn't well, not the modern uh, superhero movie making, but what was old superhero movie making. Yes. Oh, I like it. Um, okay, now. You talk for a lot there, and you've got the Rona, so you're off now. You don't have to respond too much for what I'm saying. Thanks, lad. (laughs) You're welcome, babe. Um, So, um, 
Now, I did tell you, this is the one bit you are going to have to interact with. I told you when we were doing air, let's just make sure we're not making the same movie check. That mine was based on a movie made in the 70s. Want to hazard a guess? It's based on the making of a movie that did come out? Yes. Ooh! Oh, um, Plan... No, not Plan 9, that's the 50s. Uh, Texas Chainsaw? You know I don't like horror. Uh, Good point. I thought this was the most obvious thing in the world. Is it the Star Wars? Is it the making of, of Star Wars? Of course it's fucking Star Wars. Why would it be anything else? <laughs> I was trying to think of a movie that like had like troubled history. So I was thinking, like, oh, horror movies were like kind of in the limelight at this point. Cannibal Holocaust was a thing. And like, oh, wait, no, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. 59, so yeah. Had a whole lot of fucking trouble, which we're about to document. Right, so this is essentially both a George Lucas biopic and the making of Star Wars. So cool. We are calling it The Empire of Dreams, which is named after the same documentary I watched as research for this. Um, Did you watch all three hours of that shit? No, no, no. I watched it right until New Hope comes out, because that's when our movie's going to finish. Did not bother with the other two. I've seen it enough times. I must have seen that documentary about ten fucking times, so I could have to do this documentary. It is beautiful. It's where I got the phrase Sun Merchant from, and I didn't even know that's where I got the phrase (laughs) Sun Merchant from. So there we go. Um... So yeah, we're we're doing the making of Star Wars. So I have packed this full. Okay, at least behind the camera, everybody I have picked has Oscar nominations. So Dope. directing it, nice and easy, it's going to be Spielberg. He's finally going to get to make a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Because uh, if you don't know, he was meant to direct Return of the Jedi until the director's guild kicked George out. Uh, he was... Shadow directed Revenge of the Sith, which is probably why it's the best uh, prequel movie by a country mile. Uh, he has eight nominations, three wins. That is just purely for directing. Um, he's he's, he's going to get that next nomination next year. Did you see the next movie he's directing? Uh, isn't it one about Steven Spielberg? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> okay, yes, I, I'm going to get back to that in a second because I've done some casting. Um, now, this might get a few boos, uh, but it is going to be produced by Kathleen Kennedy, who is one of the most... Um, Oscar speaking, successful producers of all time, mm. um, with eight nominations. Uh, it's going to be edited by Michael Kahn, who does all the Spielbergs editing, even though he's 91. So, I don't know if he's up for many more, but, uh, he's got eight nominations. It's going to be written by George Lucas, um, who has five nominations and one win. But just to make sure it's not an incoherent mess, it's also going to be written by Francis Ford Coppola, who has 14 nominations and five <laughs> wins. Jesus. Now, George Lucas, Spielberg, and Francis Ford Coppola are all in the movie, because they were all buddies back when this was happening. So I'll I'll kind of mention casting as we go along. Um, But the headliner. Now, I did have a quick look at fan casting. I had a person in mind. It's a person I've stuck with. Casey Affleck was maybe the silver medal choice here, but I know he's an arsehole in real life, so <laughs> I don't really want to go for him. But uh, undeniably, he might look even more like George Lucas than the guy I've cast, especially 70s Lucas. I was going to say, he's a, he's a dead ringer for him. He really fucking is. Jonah Hill, on the other hand, not as much. No. But I think we can get him there. So Jonah Hill has two Oscar nominations. Uh, hopefully this will be the one that gets him over the hill into the lead actor one. Mm. Um, so he's my George Lucas. Um, he's, I think he's almost exactly the same age, if not slightly older than George Lucas was when he made Star Wars. So age-wise, it works out. Um, we are going to cast... Now, she doesn't come up a lot, um, mainly because I've just chronicled the movie. 
But uh, it was edited by his wife, Marcia Lewis. Uh, mm-hmm. oh, sorry, Marcia Lucas, who's going to be played. There's a lot of meta casting. Just going to let you know that. Uh, she's played by Natalie Portman. <laughs> okay. Um, who has three noms and one win for Black Swan. Um, she doesn't come up a lot, but in the proper full version of this, that would be the backbone. She would be George Lucas's sounding board, basically. Mm. Um, right, I'll get to everybody else when they come up. Um, in fact, I have to mention Francis Ford Coppola first, because he's in the first scene. Uh, turns out there is an upcoming movie about the making of The Godfather, and Oscar Isaac has been cast as Francis Ford Coppola. So, oh, okay. Cool, sticking with that. If Francis Ford Coppola thinks it's a good choice, so do I. So, Oscar Isaac is Francis Ford Coppola, um, and the movie starts on the set of American Graffiti, which is uh, the movie that George Lucas made before Star Wars. Um, because Francis Ford Coppola said, there's no way you, George Lucas, massive film nerd who liked weird dystopian stuff, could do a fuzzy comedy. Mm. And George Lucas apparently took that bet and made American Graffiti. So we're going to set the scene that we're on set of American Graffiti and George is being very pessimistic. He's a very negative guy. And he thinks that the studio will definitely mess his film up, just like they did with THX 1138, which was his only other movie he'd done at this point. Um, Francis Ford Coppola said this is just simply comedy, uh, not some weird sci-fi thing. They'll leave it alone. What could they possibly do? We cut to them leaving the premiere, and the studio tinkered with it a lot. They cut about ten minutes out of the movie. And despite the film doing well, George is, like, despondent and pissed, basically, because he's an artor. He doesn't want people messing with his movies. Only he may mess with his movies, and that's probably (laughs) not a good idea. Um, So he becomes very paranoid, because the next film he wants to make is his baby. It is The Star Wars. It is a massive fucking pitch, a fat boy. (laughs) That <laughs> if you if you believe him, which is hard to do with George Lucas and the truth, contained nine parts of the Star Wars saga. Mm. Was it twelve? Or was it only nine? I, it, my, I, I, it, again, it differs. Um, depends on which documentary you're watching. Anyway, so that, parts, that could be part of the story. There you go. Um, so he's shopping it around. Um, he's been turned down left, right, and centre. Even though he's done a very successful movie uh eventually he gets in front of a lad called alan ladd jr um who is going to be played by uh noah emmerich beeman beeman seaman who looks a little bit like alan ladd jr Um, so he's gonna be playing alan ladd jr uh we might need to age him down a tad but Mm. should be fine um who run who's the new young hot creative director at 20th century fox Lad sees potential in Lucas, but not necessarily Star Wars. Takes a lot of convincing, um, including chopping the script down to just one act, act number four. Uh, and they use Ralph McCrory's artwork to kind of get it over line. But eventually they green light it. Um, but because George is very paranoid on the back foot, he kind of demands a lot of things at the cost of his own wages. Mm. He wants as much creative freedom as possible. He snaps up as much as he can in terms of merchandising posters, toys, and all that jazz. Um, again, at his own financial costs. So he's not making a lot of money out of this. He realises pretty much straight away this is going to be a tough sell because in the 70s, particularly at the point he was making this around 90, 75, 76, Vietnam's still going on. Um, cinema tastes have changed. Most of it is gritty anti-heroes. And what isn't that is big disaster movies like um, uh, the Poseidon uh 
thing. What's it called? Poseidon Adventure. There we go. It's Poseidon Adventure, it's Terry Inferno, and so on. No one's... It, all sci-fi movies are death rates 2000 fucking edgelord shite. Yeah. So, no one's really looking for this type of whimsical Flash Gordon sci-fi shite. And, because they're not looking for that, basically all the special effects teams across Hollywood have gone out of business, so he has to form his own. This is the birth of Industrial Light and Magic, ILM. Um, and he basically gets whoever he can get from the former studios to come and work for him. It's basically a frat house, but with arty people. So all okay. fucking arty people would make a frat house. Basically, it's like a fucking hippie commune at ILM at this point. They mm. will get back to them in a moment, but they're not really professionals. Very artistic, very brilliant in that respect, but they're not really taking it seriously because no one else seems to be. Uh, we get to casting... Um, which he does alongside Brian De Palma, who is currently casting Carrie at the same time. Mm. Um, I haven't cast Brian De Palma, I don't think. Uh, nope, I haven't cast him. Um, right, this is where we're going to run through as many cameos as possible, because a lot of famous people tried out for this. Fucking Robert England tried out for uh, Luke Skywalker, so did um, Yo Boy. Uh, oh, God, Ego, The Living Planet. Um, oh, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell did... Jodie Foster tried out for Leia, so on and so forth. Um, so we're going to play through them, but this is where we meet the majority of the Star Wars cast. Again, set your fucking expectations to meta. Um, <laughs> Harrison Ford, Alden Ehrenreich, it's right fucking there, nice yep. and easy. True. Um, if you don't know that, who played Han Solo in Solo, so he was given the green light by Disney to be young Han Solo. Why should I argue? Uh, Carrie Fisher, Bill Lord, again. Nice yep. and easy, obviously. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have to de-age him, but it's time to let the meme loose and let Sebastian Stan play Mark Hamill. Yes, thank you. We're going to have to decrease the age a little bit, but that is fine. Um, we've proved we can do it on actual Mark Hamill, so why not Sebastian Stan? Um, we're actually going to do the opposite for Alec McGuinness, which is going to be you and McGregor age right the fuck up. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, who else is there? Uh, White Davis is Kenny Baker. Um, I hate White <laughs> Davis with a fucking burning passion, but again, I'm going for Met here. <sighs> I'm not proud of this one. Jim Parsons as Anthony Daniels. And now it works. It works. It does though. work, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, Stephen Merchant as Peter Mayhew, because he was the tallest English person I could think of. <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi. Coming out of Chewbacca would be. Uh. Oh, um, man. I haven't cast Dave Wood, uh, Dave Prey, which you can just get some tall bodybuilder dude. Um, but I have cast Lawrence Fishburne as James L. Jones. Nice and simple. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's everyone I need to mention. It is. Um, so, obviously, we're going through the casting. Lots of these are unknowns. Harrison Ford was a carpenter. He wasn't even American Graffiti, but he was only hired to run lines before George Lucas kind of said, you know what, he's doing a good enough job. Let's have him. Um, they wanted Carrie Fisher to lose weight because um, they thought she was somehow too fat because fuck the 70s. Uh, Mark <laughs> Hamill was just seen as a TV actor. Alec Guinness, and I cannot stress this enough, could not be fucked to be there. <laughs> could not. You think you think Harrison Ford doesn't give a shit. He learned how to not give a shit from Alec Guinness yep. on the set of Star Wars. Um, hiring knows went bad, very badly uh, down at Fox, but Alan Ladd Jr. was there kind of protecting him. Uh, shoot starts in Tunisia, and the bad luck starts immediately as it rains in the Sahara for the first time in 50 years. <laughs> on day two. Um, it is 
Fucking miserable. Everything's going wrong. C-3PO, the suit, 3PO suit is falling apart on a daily basis. They can't get R2-D2 to work. He can either drive forward or turn his head, but not both. Um, <laughs> so far forth. They thought the problems would stop when they moved to London. They went to L Street Studios. But then he came up against something even worse than the Sahara Desert. English people who don't know what they're doing. Oh, no. Um, so the British crew are very hostile. They don't understand why Fox were making a kids' movie like this. They just didn't get it. No one really got it other than George. So the bulk of the movie would resolve around these non-stop problems. They're a little bit disaster movery. And the bullying of a meek and retiring Lucas. I'll use this point to touch on themes. So obviously there's an obvious analogy of the little rebel alliance overcoming the evil movie studio empire. But I want this to be more about, it's a character study on a very introverted man trying to make a very extroverted thing. Mm. Um, uh, 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 he's coming through a hostile working environment that he's not uh, equipped to fucking deal with. That's where you get the gravitas and the acting, Michael. Um, takes it home to his wife, that's where we're going to see. I, it probably doesn't line up, I think they got divorced around the time of Return of the Jedi, but we can start seeing that in. It's a fucking fantasy, it's fine. Um, and about doubt, which have, you know, very human fucking emotion, just doubting yourself, doubting your ideas and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, um, the running gag throughout would be John Williams, played by, uh, Brett Gelman, who is Murray from Stranger Things. Okay. He's going to be playing John Williams. The running joke will be him constantly trying to get George to listen to the soundtrack, but George is just too fucking busy. <laughs> can't do it. Uh, production's going over budget and over schedule. Uh, in the last week, because they said it's more important to finish on time than it is to finish on budget, we have a comedy scene of Lucas like ma- cycling like a maniac between sound stages trying to capture everything. <laughs> so like literally Vicar Dibley style, jumping out of one sound stage onto a bike, pedaling to the next fucking scene, saying go and then going to the next one. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so... We get production done. He thinks his problems are behind him. Things are fucking sketchy at home, but he's like, right, I can go home now. I can go to LA. Should be fine. Post-production is also a shit show. Um, <laughs> they ILM are tasked with creating brand new special effects that never been done before, but with this hippie mentality. So ILM is a fucking mess. They have spent half the budget and taken a year, and they have no usable footage. Um, and with the looming threat of Fox pulling the movie at literally the drop of a hat unless Alan Ladd fucking fights the fire for him, a particularly bad visit to ILM left George with severe chest pains. Uh, fearing a heart attack, he goes to his doctors and he's told to reduce his stress level. The lowest point comes shortly after this, when he shows a rough cut to his friends, including Steven Spielberg, played by Seth Rogen, because do you know in the Steven Spielberg biopic, which is largely about Spielberg as a kid in Arizona, they've cast Seth Rogen as Spielberg's uncle. So, wow, okay. Again, if Spielberg thinks that's fine, I think it's fine. Um, so uh, he shows this to his friends. These are meant to be his closest confidants. And Spielberg's basically the only one that likes it. Everyone else thinks it's a piece of shit and they don't understand it. Um, he's miserable at this point. And so low is he, and at such a wit's end, he finally goes and listens to the soundtrack, which kicks fucking ass. Mm. It is the first thing that has gone better than expected on the whole fucking shoot. And that's your turning point of the movie. It galvanizes Lucas to think, right, this can fucking work. He goes back to ILM, lights a fire under their fucking asses, and tells <laughs> them, you've got six months to get a year's worth of stuff done. I'm going to be here every day cracking the fucking whip. We're going to get there. Um, things are very tense leading right up to the premiere 
uh, we see some of the underground um, fan movements. Have I missed a bit? No, I have not. Um, we see some of the underground fan movements that the marketing team at LucasArts have started to do, including Comic-Con panels at San Diego Comic-Con, which apparently was around in the 70s, uh, and a deal with Marvel Comics, which of course would include a cameo from Stan the Man. Mm. I couldn't figure out who to play 70s Stan. Oh, 70s Stan. 70s Stan is the height of Stan with a porn stash, so I don't, I don't know who that is. Um, right. <laughs> All builds to May 25th, uh, 1977, the premiere at Groman's Chinese Theatre in L.A. The ending of this movie would be a relieved George leaving the cinema, showered with praise after the movie going over very, very well. Closing on a shot of him driving past the cinema a few weeks later with lines around the block to watch Star Wars, Mm. overlaid with a phone call from someone at Fox asking when the sequel was going to come. And the last line would obviously be George saying, well about that, which alludes to him basically self-funding Empire Strikes Back to avoid all of these problems. And yep. that is my pitch for Empire Dreams, the making of Star Wars. Now, obviously, an Oscar movie would need a lot more themes, a lot more serious acting put into there, but I think there's enough there, at least on the base level, to get us to the mountaintop. I, I, if in a fuller script, which I do not have the time to write, we would figure that out and put in more dramatic scenes so we can just get some of that goodness. But... It is based on a movie. I would like that shit. We have loaded it full of previous Oscar uh, noms. In our entire cast and crew, we have 49 Oscar nominations and 10 wins. So it is loaded. 70s are in. Do some 70s glam shite. Uh, yeah. I think that's... Oh, obviously, I forgot about my last theme, which is some hints that George Lucas doesn't actually like Star Wars. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you watch to the end of the Empire, uh, Empire of Dreams documentary... It's the line that stuck with me the most, where George says, I, uh, you know, Star Wars is great. I like Star Wars. That is his <laughs> life's fucking work, and he can just about say he <laughs> likes it. And I think there's a bit in Simon Pegg's book where he told Simon Pegg when he was, like, struggling just being on space, George Luke said, just don't become the person only known for doing one thing. So I want to weave it in that George Lucas is a bit resentful of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and does not found joy since 1977. <laughs> he even looked miserable when he signed LucasArts over to Disney for what I can only imagine was billions upon billions of pounds. He looked fucking miserable. Look at the launch of fucking Black Spire Outpost at Disneyland. He looks like he would rather be having a fucking root canal than being stood in front of the Millennium Falcon because he's a miserable piece of shit. Uh, and I've just dedicated a few hours of my life to writing his life story, so... Fucking... Phenomenal. Uh, and did you cast Peter Cushing? Oh, I did not cast Peter Cushing. Okay. Um, Oscar, um, I know what's his name. Jason Isaacs could be a good Peter Cushing. Oh, that's a hell of a shape for, for Peter Cushing. Um, yeah, I think he was the only one of the main cast I didn't do. Like, the Emperor looks like the Emperor, so you can just get Ian McDermott back. That's fine. Yeah, um, that's he's fine. He's only in a fucking... No, because then you could do the joke about the original Emperor would just... An old woman's face with baboon eyes. So you can just do that instead. <laughs> baboon eyes? Have you never heard that? No. Yeah, in the original, like the original cut, so you'll never find it. Uh, they got a really old woman, and obviously because he's got his hood up, you can't see above the nose, basically, but you can see the eyes, and apparently they were baboon eyes. So, I mean, we've seen we've seen that footage. Me and you've seen the original version. Have we? Surely, right? I've seen it. I don't think I've seen it. Not the original, original... Uh, fucking 
you know, real sugar version, no. Well, like the the actual 79... That, that exists somewhere, I'm sure of it. <laughs> fucking not according to Disney, does Oh, <laughs> Not according to George Lucas, it didn't fucking exist anymore. <laughs> oh, with baboon eyes, that's brilliant. Yeah, that is genuine. So, I finally put all my Star Wars knowledge to good use. I feel good about that. It was an excuse to watch Empire of Dreams again, so that was cool. And yeah, that is my Oscar movie pitch. I mean, I'll watch the shit out of it. That's... You would, wouldn't you? You would. I'm That's a good fucking cast. Still trying to figure out who you'd have for the Stan Lee cameo. I don't. This is the thing. It's like because you have a picture of Stan Lee in your head now, and he's looked that way since you were a kid in the nineties. But in the seventies, he had a jet black fucking mustache. He had more hair, not all his hair, but more hair. He looked like if he wasn't writing comics, he would definitely, definitely be in porn. So oh yeah, who's got that energy about? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, dude, clearly fucks. Um, oh, like you would not fucking believe. <laughs> Shit, um, there's a, there's a, I've just typed in Stanley 1979, and there's a photo of him kind of like with his arm around a guy dressed as Spider-Man. Right. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, if only I was able to crossbreed Steve Buscemi and Ron Swanson. Right. And I'm like, that person does not exist. <laughs> No, not Stan Len. Hang on, I've put Stan Len. I don't know who that is. Because, uh, there, yeah, there he is, there he is. He looks, fuck me, he looks like Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. My God. Oh, God, he does um, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know who you get to be 70s Stan the Man. That's an important piece of casting. Mm. Like, we'll see who Hollywood eventually decides to do it, because I guarantee in the next 10 years we're going to have... A st- oh, there's Stanley hanging out with Kiss. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God, the 70s is cool. <laughs> he just, he just like he stumbled across Kiss. <laughs> kiss are in Kiss stuff, and he's holding what appears to be a first aid kit in a full <laughs> white suit. I have to find this picture now. If you type uh, in, ladies and gentlemen, if you type in Stanley 1977 onto Google and just go down a little bit, you'll find a glorious black and white picture of Stanley and Kiss on on top of a, an American Jeep. Oof. Oh, oh, oh my the, God, it's beautiful. There's the colour photo. Woo! <laughs> what what I dude? going on? Why is he dressed as Colonel Sanders? <laughs> Why is Stand- he holding the colour photo? That's clearly a first take. Yeah, it's got the Red Cross on it. What the fuck? We're kids having a medical emergency. <laughs> <laughs> we need help and Stan Lee just appeared. <laughs> Fucking double barreling first aid kits. Oh boy, yeah. If if you've got suggestions for who you'd cast as 1970s Stanley, not a sentence has ever been said before. Let us know. Let us know on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can go and find me, which is at that Mike Owen, or you can go and find Darren, which is at the Guttridge, on both of those platforms. You can also find the site on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook with the username Valiant That's F O U L E N T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, wherever you can pick up your RSS feed under the username Valiant or Fowl NT Podcast, depending on the service you are using. And, of course, go to fowlentertainment.com for more of this stuff. More pitches. If you want to hear a lot of pitches, none of them particularly well thought out, I can direct you to our last episode, which was the Amazon Prime grab bag special. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. We have a lot of fun, and, unfortunately, we will be bringing some of those movies into existence. Sorry about that. Um, Sorry, just real quick. If you do go... On Sandley 1977, there's a black and white picture of him stood in what charitably is meant to be the Hulk, but he's quite clearly a King Kong suit that they've put hair on. 
Oh my god, yeah. And that is King Kong with just a, a wig on. And suspicious Spider Man. He is very suspicious. <laughs> oh, it's gonna warm you up. Oh, I'll report back. I've got a lot of flights coming up. I've got a lot of time to mull over who's seventies Stanley. It looks like Susan Boyle that <laughs> doesn't it? Oh my god. <laughs> What a time to be alive. Uh, yeah, you can list our Amazon pitches over there. We will be back with the regular schedule, Marvel Shite. Speaking of Stanley, um, where we're going to do reviews the second I get back of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and Moon Knight as we prep for stuff like Kenobi, Stranger Things Season 4, so on and so forth. Yeah, we're not sure which of these episodes will be our last for a, a short while, but uh, uh, Darren's uh, going to get married and then going on his honeymoon. Uh-huh. So there may be a gap in content. Hopefully we've made enough to bridge that gap. But if we haven't, well, you know, these things only happen once, don't they? So They do. You've got to enjoy yourself whilst you can. The country that I want to honeymoon in still won't let us fucking in. I know you want to go to North Korea, Michael, but it's fine. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the communist regime will fall any I, day now. I just want to Pyongyang. see them nukes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what an ending. Bye, everybody! Bye. <laughs> I might have to cut out some coughing. I'm sorry about this. What was that? I just said... <laughs> Did it really cut out bad, then? <laughs> it kicked me. <laughs> just have a listen back to it. It was quite a, quite a thing. That'll be fun. Anyway. <laughs>